Hey everyone, just a quick announcement before we start the podcast. As many of you in the U.S. and around the world may have heard, Hurricane Florence is now gone from the Carolina coast. The destruction left in its path, however, continues to be felt throughout the Carolinas. Current estimates tally the damage at $17 to $22 billion. The cost of those losing homes and loved ones, however, is immeasurable. Untapped is headquartered in Wilmington, North Carolina, North Carolina's largest coastal community, and we felt Florence's impact firsthand. Most of our 85 employees at Wilmington evacuated before Florence arrived. However, several of us have had homes damaged or destroyed entirely. Knowing that thousands experienced even greater loss and that many have less resources and support, our team has felt strongly that we need to leverage our platform at Untapped to help our community rebuild. We've created a Hurricane Florence Recovery Benefit Untapped t-shirt, which represents that effort. The shirt features a hurricane symbol on a badge format on the front pocket and state flags of North and South Carolina worked into our distinctive Drink Socially Bottles logo on the back. Untapped is donating the entire cost of these shirts so that the entirety of your purchase will benefit the foundation of the Carolina's Hurricane Florence Response Fund and the Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina. You can visit store.untapped.com to purchase and support this effort. And on behalf of our entire team at Untapped, we deeply appreciate your support. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. As most of you beer lovers out there know, this week, the Great American Beer Festival takes place over in Denver, Colorado. And we are super excited because we're here in Denver for the first time for both of us being at uh, GABF. Yep. Super exciting. Yep. Um, and we're actually here at the, the Odell Rhino Brewhouse and Tap Room um, in front of a live audience, which is pretty exciting. So yeah. thank you all for coming out. A lot of folks out here. Thank you guys for coming out. And uh, we're also very excited for this week's episode because not only is this our first live show, um, but we're also joined by some very special guests here. Uh, joining us, we have Brent Cordell, the brewmaster here at the Odell Rhino uh, Brewhouse and Tap Room. Um, we've got Adam D'Antonio, uh, marketing manager here from Odell, uh, and also Jason Murphy, who is the beverage innovation manager at Buffalo Wild Wings and a certified Cicerone. Yeah. Thanks for coming out, guys. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah. Uh, as we typically do before we get into today's show, let's get something to drink. We were actually asked before this podcast started about what sound we were going to use for this. We usually crack open a can or, <laughs> or a bottle. This is actually our first like draft beer that we've done That's true. on the show. So I don't know what sound we're going to use for this, but we'll come up with something in post. Put some in afterwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but since we're here um, at the uh, brew house, we asked Brent what we should try out and what are we what are we having uh the guava goza is what we're starting off with so it's a lightly kettle soured beer uh with uh some fresh guava added to the fermenter as a dry hop quote unquote so it gives it that nice fresh guava aroma mm-hmm. super drinkable it's a good good beer to start with i feel like the color is incredible like, I don't know if I've ever seen a beer that looks like this, yeah. like, visually. It's very, like, pink Starburst color yep. is what it, I'm getting out of it. It definitely is, yeah. yeah. I think every time someone pours a beer here, bring it to a table, there's always someone who says, what's that? 
you know it is <laughs> yeah. it looks so different but, uh, i feel like we're all used to the the milky orange mm-hmm. so it's a nice change to see the <laughs> milky pink yeah <laughs> Right. Very, very much like in a uh, a milkshake quality to it, hmm. um, on the, the visual at least. But right. Let's let's give it a taste and and see what we think. How many of these have you had? First of all, of this one in particular. Today? Or is this one of your, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fruit? Maybe is another. We've done some other. Time. Yeah, we've done some other sours. Um, okay. In house, we we opened about three and a half months ago. Okay. And. Um, the kettle sours, the lightly fruited sours have been pretty big hit around this area. But uh, the guava's definitely been the number one. Yeah. It's been the go-to. Yeah. But we've done some mango, strawberry mm. uh, sours. We've done some kiwi strawberries. So we're just trying to keep it fresh and having different fruit options with the kettle sours. Yeah. Those but, also uh, seem like good fruits that would go well with that sort of sour, right, that right. sour um, thing. Sour profile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I think I feel like passion fruit or um, the guava and like passion fruit and things like that are pretty seem to be pretty popular right now mm-hmm. in terms of the flavor profiles that people are aiming for. Yeah, it seems like the tropical fruits are really big right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, what what was the process to kind of come up with this? I mean, uh, did you guys have something first and then just went through the the different fruit profiles, or did you kind of target anything specifically? Or um, we've been playing with some other fruits um, up at our brewery in Fort Collins and some smaller recipes as well up there. And uh, when we opened this brew house, we just kind of wanted to keep expanding on that. Yeah. And it was just kind of thrown out there, hey, how about a guava goza? And <laughs> we were digging the guava puree that we were getting. Okay. Um, comes from uh, Ecuador, I believe. Oh, awesome. So, I mean, it's fresh, awesome puree. Uh, it's great flavor just by itself. It just seemed like it would pair really well with the kettle sour, so we went for it. Yeah. And it was a winner. Nice. So. It's definitely a winner. It's very, it's very refreshing. It's um, really, really is. It's kind of dry too. It, mm-hmm. uh, it kind of lingers on the palate, but in a like a kettle sour kind of way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, it's really good. And the it's the tartness on it. It's um, it's pretty mellow in terms of um, like the sour, not giving you that yeah. like, super pucker, but enough to know that you're having something that's got a little sour zing to yep. it. Yeah, And yeah, you're right. The the guava pairs really nicely with that, giving it that sort of tropical profile. Yeah, we're stoked about it. Um, I think you mentioned that it's one that's been pretty popular. It has been, yeah, especially in the summer months. I mean, yeah. it's when it's hot out, you know, in the 90s, this is a pretty refreshing beer to have. I mean, like you said, it looks really thick, looks really cloudy, but does not drink that. No, not at all. I, I would expect body. it to it's have pretty... kind of like lactose or, you know, something that, mm-hmm. that rounds out the, the tartness, um, but it, it doesn't need it. Like, it's, it's nice and kind of balanced on its own, mm-hmm. uh, refreshing even. Like, it, it's really good. Right. I like it a lot. He cool. said, "This is one that you are actually you're, that you guys are brewing here specifically." Yep, yep. This one we're going to keep on tap here at all times. Okay, um, it runs out <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, also, but uh, I've been trying to keep the fermenter as often as possible to keep it keep it rolling on tap. Nice. How fresh would you say this batch is? Uh, we just kegged this two days ago. Oh wow! Okay, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. So <laughs> right like off it. the line, that's what's great about this brew house. You know, everything yeah. you have on tap is going to be super fresh. Yeah, because it's just it's got to go what like ten feet from the back to the front. Yep. And you're good to yep. go. It goes downstairs, and then, and then it goes on the tap lines. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. So we're, we should say we're actually up at the second floor of your Rhino Brew House here. Um, I guess there would be what technically three. You've got the bottom floor with where you fill the kegs, and you know, yep, we got our main production lines. facility in the back of the house, yep. and then. Uh, the front of the house on the main level is uh, the first tap room with our main bar, mm-hmm. side patio on that. Then you walk up the stairs. Right when you walk in the building, there's a stairway that goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's upstairs where we're at right now. Yep. we got two different bars. Um, just got the, the tap lines are just split from the cooler in the basement. Yeah. We actually literally dug out <laughs> the cooler space. Nice. We got this, uh, the building. 
to make room for the cooler. We didn't have anywhere to put it. Wow. So, um, yeah, we dug out the basement, put a cooler in there, and that's where all the kegs hide. And then tap lines run up to the first floor and second floor for the uh, both bars. Nice. Well, and you were kind of giving us a, a rundown of the building itself when we first came in, um, and that there were, you know, most of the brick in here is the original from from when the building was created. Mm-hmm. Um, sands, like you said, the, the the area in front that kind of fell out when yeah, yeah. you guys were digging for. Yeah, there's there's a construction mishap uh, <laughs> when the building was being uh, created, but uh, the rest of it, I mean, the majority of all this brick is original from. Late 1800s, early 1900s, I believe. I forget what date exactly this building was built, but, but it, yeah, it's beautiful too. It I mean, really the, is. The, the classic brick. The I was mentioning like the the rustic wood on the ceiling downstairs looks mm-hmm. beautiful. And then you mentioned something about the the bar itself, the bar surface. Yeah, the bar on the main level when you walk in uh, was made out of the original floor trusses that were ripped out when the everything was being done for this brewery and uh, repurposed it and built the bar top out of those trusses so it's got a lot of really cool character a lot of mm. cool wood grains in that bar yeah. unique like it's a it's a one-of-a-kind piece mm-hmm. made of the place that right. you've got your brew house it's yeah. it's a cool thing keeping the history is this is a pretty like you just said a pretty old building so you mm-hmm. want to preserve some whatever preserve whatever you can absolutely i mean it's a really cool like you said a really cool old building and why not repurpose you know good pieces of material that are that that can look really cool yeah you know, in this day and age Makes, so. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Quick question that we always like to kind of get an idea from um, the people that we talk to is, you know, what got you into craft beer? What would you consider like your gateway beer into that world? How, how did you get kind of started in that environment? I mean, we can go down the line and just kind of get an idea. My gateway was probably Easy Street Wheat. Um, I mean, I grew up in Fort Collins, so there may have been some, you know, opened 89, um, high school, there was may have been some cake parties here and there with some easy street you know that someone maybe found but um you know so i was lucky enough to grow up around craft beer before craft beer was everywhere and it was always uh i don't know i always enjoyed it and that's that's something i really appreciated and then when i was uh old enough to get into the business i i jumped on the opportunity awesome yeah what jason I guess I really got into trying a lot of different styles of beer. Um, growing up here in, in Denver, um, this is where Old Chicago started. Uh, Old Chicago has a program called the World Beer Tour where you drink 110 beers to get your name on the wall, which was really cool when you're a person getting started drinking beer. So I really wanted to get my name on the wall, so I just started drinking everything. <laughs> I found out that I liked Guinness a lot, uh, mm. which was funny because my dad just hated the beer. He didn't, he didn't think it was good, so I would try it a lot. I, I enjoyed it, and I yeah. drank it home. Um, but then I think the, the brewery that really got me into craft beer was uh, Breckenridge Brewery. Okay. Mm. Uh, I lived down here in downtown Denver. Uh, they had a brew pub right across the street from where I lived. I was there two or three times a week. Breckenridge Brewery Summer Right uh, was one of the first beers that I craved. And when I moved to Milwaukee for a couple of years, I had them ship beer to me in Milwaukee so I could get that beer. <laughs> that is a dedication so, right there. Uh, I'd, say, I'd say Breckenridge Summer Bright was the one that really got me into craft beer and kind of got me, got me going. Awesome. I guess uh, for myself, um, Sierra Pale Ale, without a doubt, was uh, was one that I was after all the time in college. I, you know, being in college and everybody's sort of looking for the uh, low cost, high volume kind of plays. I was the guy who would go buy a ten dollars six pack of Sierra Pale Ale um, just because I enjoyed it so much. And then 
Growing up in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, I lived fairly close to Victory Brewing, so uh, ah. fell in love with Hop Devil uh, fairly <laughs> early on as well, and uh, and just having great fresh uh, local beer like that, yeah. uh, it was it was easy to go down that rabbit hole and and start discovering other flavors that I was really into. So yeah, we we actually just had an episode with uh, the guy over at Victory and talking about sort of their fresh hopped beers and getting ingredients uh, from the Pacific Northwest, which is happening a lot right now. Um, you know, a lot of folks are going out rubbing hops, trying to see you know which ones do they want to have for for this next year. Is there anything in particular that you guys are looking at for? Uh, this next round of beer for next year or, you know, coming up here really soon from this hop harvest? Yeah, we're always, uh, you know, we send a crew up to Yakima every year and uh, get to select hops and uh, down to the exact lot, you know, and, and different acreage different fields. Yeah, yeah that always uh, looks so cool. It it's pretty <laughs> exciting stuff. I'm uh, I'm jealous when the team is up there selecting, um, but we're we're really fortunate. We have a great relationship with the hop growers, so. Um, you know, it's something that we feel is really important. We don't want to just buy hops on the open market. You know, we want to know exactly who's growing our hops and, um, you know, how they're being treated and how they're being harvested. And uh, all of that results in the flavors that we get from those hops. And not all hops are created equal. Just because they're the same variety does not mean they produce the same flavor profiles. And even down to the day that they're harvested, um, will change the finished flavor profile of those hops. So uh, we, we like to spend a lot of time out there with the farmers in the fields and really get that hands-on experience so that the beers that we're producing are the best quality beers that we can possibly make. Can't argue with that. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that sounds amazing. That sounds so good. Uh, you, you and I were actually talking briefly before we started recording about um, a hop that I had never heard about. What was the name of that? It's called Sabro. Sabro. Um, okay. So it was a experimental hop that we had worked with um, for a couple of seasons uh, and actually sponsored and, and helped get that hop kind of to, to market in a, uh, in a larger scale. And so it was, I don't recall the exact number code that it was given originally but it's now it's now been granted a name and uh it's a hop that we really love it produces some great tropical characteristics a lot of coconut um which is a really kind of cool unique newer flavor coming out of hops uh but plays really well with those other tropical fruit flavors that you get out of other hop varieties so it's a beer that we've been producing down here at the rhino brew house um pretty frequently and mm-hmm. seems to be a really good seller so we certainly like it <laughs> and if we like it hopefully everybody else does too yeah we'll, we'll have to check we'll have to check something out do you have anything on right now with that hop in it we have sabro ipa on right now oh we're gonna have to check that out for sure yeah, yeah. that yeah. sounds really good <laughs> yeah <laughs> the idea of getting kind of coconut essence out of a hop seems so mind-blowing to me it really does yeah like the is it the creaminess of it that comes out or is it kind of the i, I don't want to say like pithy but kind of you know on on the the like bitter side of coconut Definitely not bitter. It's more the aroma. Okay. You get that coconut, kind of open up a fresh coconut and get that, that nose. Ah, uh, okay. That, yep. sounds, that sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we know we kind of, we, uh, we get an idea of how you got into beer, but how, how did you get into brewing? What was, just, what, what was your kind of path into that world? Um, I started out uh, with the brewery doing delivery sales. Okay. And also doing some packaging, a little bit of everything. I did some warehouse and this and that. Um, and after a couple of years of that, I was just, I grew even more interested in the actual brewing side of things and how the beer is made from start to uh, start to finish. And uh, 
So really, uh, that's I came to. My, I went to my manager when you know a long time ago and said, "Hey, really digging uh, that side a little more. I'm kind of interested." And he helped me along, and so I just pretty much old school worked my way up from yeah. uh, package to uh, seller. Did some seller for a few years. Worked in a production brew house for a few years, and and now I'm uh, I'm now I'm here. Right. When you say seller, that S E L L C with a C. Okay, seller. all right. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. So that's where we, you know, that's where all the the brewed beer yeah. goes into the fermenter, and that's where the seller takes care of it from there. So we have a seller team at in Fort Collins that pretty much manages the beer from when it's brewed, uh, once it goes in the fermenter, until it goes into the bottle or the keg. So Got it. Okay, that's awesome. Can. It seems yeah. that uh, it seems like starting starting at that lower level and working your way up seems to be um, the trend that we hear. Um, you know, starting in warehouse or packaging and then mm-hmm. eventually working your way up. And it's always great to see that there's that room and um, like push to get people to explore more in the industry and like it just help them accelerate and grow. Right. So that's really great to right. hear, especially in this, like in the beer industry. It's a perfect place to start really because you understand the flow of the brew house yeah. and the brewery from every step of the way, you know? Yeah. So once you get to that level of maybe in the cellar or brew house, it's, you value a, Everything that happens within the brewery. And did you do any brewing before that? Nope. <laughs> so you just jump. You just jump right in. I'm kind of spoiled, but uh, yeah, my first brews were on our five uh, five barrel pilot system. Okay, and that was that was what Collins. I was curious just to ask what your first beer that you actually brewed was and how did it turn out. It turned out okay. It was a uh, oatmeal stout. Okay. I actually named it after my grandpa. Aw. Um, but uh, brewed that for a few years. I might bring it back this winter even, but. Um, yeah, that was my first beer, and also, I mean, obviously, I had a lot of guidance and asked mm. a lot of questions to some of the other brewers that were around, but it turned out pretty good. That's awesome. So <laughs> that's really good. I got lucky. Is there any is there any story behind uh, naming that beer after your grandfather and and the what the name is is sort of an homage to? Not really. I mean, just just my gramps. You know, I always wanted to. He's he was awesome, and uh, he was uh, was he into beer? He, oh yeah, oh okay. yeah, oh yeah. He liked beer. Uh, he was a. Uh, uh, farmer in Iowa ah. and big John Deere fan. So named it Grandpa McLaughlin's uh, Oatmeal Stout and pretty much just homage to him, you know, yeah. just for being my gramps. That's so, awesome. That's yeah. good. So you, you, you did mention the brewing system in here. And obviously this is this building with its, the, with its history. Um, there's not a, you, you obviously you want to keep it intact as much as you can and not knock as, you know, knock, knock things out as you can. And obviously you have to fit an entire brewing system in here. Mm-hmm. I did a little reading and just how, I was astonished by the amount of like customization um, and just the fact that you had to like make use of every square inch. I mean, how, how was that process of getting that into this historic building? <laughs> it's just, you work with the, uh, you know, the brew house builders and you show them the space, mm-hmm. the architects, you know, they, work, they all work together and what we're trying to accomplish and the amount of vessels we want to get in there. And you just kind of go from there, you know, you yeah. make sure that it's, that your measurements are right. <laughs> yeah. If they aren't right, you've got some trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were, it was tight, but you know, every tank we brought in that day, was, we were a little more and more nervous each tank that came in, but we got the last one in and took a deep breath and so we, we did it. Yeah. So, and it seems like it's a, there's some extra pieces that are added. Like, um, it, it's like an all you, you have everything you need down there. Um, uh, I'm trying to, I was just, like I said, I was, I was reading and I just mentioned, um, you know, it's not just you, you, uh, you have some extra hopping, um, 
equipment to bring in the hot. We were talking about the different vessels uh, that you've got in there. And I think we, we, Tim and I were pretty, are pretty unfamiliar with the whole commercial brewing system and what the different stages are uh, that you need to put the beer through in those, in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, Was there any part of getting those parts in there where you kind of had to like really rethink the space or like sort of create a master plan for it so that you can start to support the expected amount of people that were going to come through or the amount of beer that you guys were planning on putting, putting out or just a different layout from like a standard brewery where you might have a giant warehouse, I guess is more like some custom, some ways you had to custom squeeze in anything. One thing moving to another. We were lucky in the way that we have the resources under Fort Collins brewery. To use, I mean, we don't have any raw material storage here. We don't have silos of malt. We don't have a big pallet of malt sitting around that I'm pulling from every day when I'm brewing. You know, we're bringing down, we have a cargo van that we got just for this new brewery, and um, we're bringing down, you know, raw materials from Fort Collins. I put it in, you know, an order of certain malts that I need, hops that I need, and the cargo van brings it down, and I throw it through the mill that day. Nice. And then it goes to the brew house. Uh, What's the turnaround time on those orders? Usually, I try to get it to him the week before. You, know? <laughs> you can't. No. Sometimes the day before. <laughs> uh, I try not to, but it's busy. But um, no, it's 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 awesome to have all the resources in Fort Collins that I'm used to having. You know, um, yeah. it's a luxury that we're very lucky to have. But um, so take full advantage of that, and that helps. I guess when we were designing the brewery. You know, to know that we have that the storage there, and resource, so, yeah. resources in Fort Collins still that, that helped a ton but really when we were designing this brew house we were just thinking about the actual brewing yeah. vessels and where we're, how we're going to fit everything in for that because we knew everything else would be coming from Fort Collins okay that's know? well that's, that's so, definitely makes it that a little helps, bit easier uh, yeah that helps but uh, yeah I mean it's a three vessel brew house it's a mash mixer lotter ton kettle whirlpool uh, there's one HLT there's six fermenters and one bright beer tank um, even kegs are being brought down from Fort Collins. You know, we're kegging everything on site, uh, just just hand kegging with a hose attached to the bright beer tank, which is where the clarified or packageable beer goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just pressure transferring that into kegs, just yeah. using a hose. And those kegs are being brought down clean and pressurized from Fort Collins as well. So nice. just kind of timing everything yeah. week by week and making sure that the that we keep up with production down here. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know what what was the motivation behind setting up shop in this neighborhood or in this space. Uh, we've kind of had our eye on the Denver market um, for another brew house, um, man, close to ten years now. That uh, I, I think I've heard rumblings of it and visited some other spaces, and uh, timing felt right. And uh, certainly, this neighborhood is is a special part of Denver, um, and we're really proud to be a part of this community down here now. Uh, we just got to go through a week of uh, an event called Crush and where they repaint murals all through town. It's a really cool artistic district down here in Rhino. Um, and it's it's fun to be a part of this community. And it, it's certainly growing and changing and hopefully in really positive ways. Um, and we want to be a part of that moving forward. That's awesome. Yeah, I was uh, coming up the street and saw a lot of the art um, on the walls out there. It's really cool. It's a really nice neighborhood. It, it reminds me a little bit of the um, like the arts district that we have in Los Angeles, um, there are a handful of breweries very there. cultured very Murals. like kind of having it has its own vibe right and you yeah. you come into this area thinking like ah you know i'm gonna get a unique experience i'm gonna get some unique beers there's a lot of other breweries also kind of along this this route as well have you worked with any of those uh folks on this on this route uh we have not done any collaborations 
as of yet. Okay. I'd like to once we get going a little more. I mean, yeah. we've been open for, like I said, a little over three months, so we're still trying to figure out the production flow mm-hmm. on this end of things, but no collaborations yet. <laughs> as of yet. But okay. the brewers around here are great. I mean, yeah. everybody's been really welcoming, I and mean, it's it's an awesome culture to be a part of in this yeah. area. That's that's great. Yeah, it seems like the it seems like the industry in general is very collaborative and very open to just working together and tasting and all that stuff. So that's yep. that's awesome. Jason, question for you. Yeah. So beverage innovation manager, what what exactly does that mean? <laughs> it's it's a very it's a it's, it's a, a lot of words, and that's actually like half my title. I think I, I think it's beverage promotions and programs innovation manager and oh, i wow. cut it in half just to make it easier okay thank you my business card says beer guy beer well because I, that's a lot easier to explain yeah beer guy sounds a lot better yeah um, <laughs> so you know i'm part of a, a team at buffalo wild wings but for my portion of the job being a beverage programs and promotions innovation manager I'm really in charge of all things beer at buffalo wild wings so everything from what we put on draft across the country from a national level to a regional to a statewide level, uh, working with our brewery partners on a day-to-day basis, talking about, you know, what new products are coming out, what opportunities do we have moving forward, working with them on special promotions, uh, also working on beer education and beer training with our team members, and then down to things uh, like our draft systems, pricing, Anything that's beer related goes through you. Uh, it it go, goes through me. That's but, a lot to handle. <laughs> yeah. it, it's a, it's a lot, but it's fun. I mean, it's a, it's a cool job to have, right? Yeah. Well, beer guy is a very cool yes. title. I will give you that for sure. So I'm sure, obviously, with you're talking like um, with education, um, you know, you 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 have so many locations and there's staff there and it's not like it's manned necessarily by the person making the beer like you might get at a tap house. So I imagine like making sure that all the information is um, handed down to everybody is a very important piece of that. Um, and obviously with you kind of being a part of that, having the knowledge yourself would be very important. And as I think we mentioned in the beginning with your title, you have that Cicerone certification. Yeah. Um, how does that play into it? Like how did you get there and how does that knowledge play into everything? Yeah, the the Cicerone program was something that I was personally really interested in, uh, something that I wanted to pursue just so I could could say I had it. Um, So I got my my certified Cicerone certification, which is level two of four, I'd say three years ago now. Um, And it's just something that I felt being in this industry, being in my job was an important thing to have Uh, because I do have a marketing background. I do have a business background, but I'm also in the beer industry. So to me, I feel like that just helps add an extra layer of credibility. I'm not coming in with kind of just this, you have to do this because this is what the business books tell you or the marketing books tell you. I also have that beer side of things where I feel like I can evaluate beers and evaluate brewers and breweries and uh, be able to make sure that not only are we making good business decisions, but we're also making good beer decisions that are right for our guests and people who we want to come into our restaurants, who we want to drink good beer. Uh, We want them to be educated about what's going on. And so it's all just about kind of raising the overall knowledge level of what's going on with beer inside Buffalo Wild Wings from the corporate level all the way down to... Uh, our general managers and our servers and our bartenders. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. What what would you say um, for like your average beer drinker? What's a good tip that you may have learned during that program? One thing that we still constantly fight is a good inch and a half to two inches ahead. Okay, on a beer. 
Um, and that's there not only for uh, the benefits of you know displaying great aroma in the beer, but also uh, for helping your stomach when you drink the beer. So I've learned actually a new test in the last couple of days. Have you guys heard of the wet napkin test? No. no. All right. So this is really interesting. So <laughs> when you have time and a couple extra beers, take one beer, pour it a little hard like you should to create that inch, inch and a half, two inches of foam. Take one beer and just pour it down the side so it's just flat and even with the top. And then take a paper napkin and put them both in the uh, glass at the same time. The beer with head is just going to maintain that inch and a half of head. The beer that didn't have any head is going to overflow on the glass because it just starts foaming and the carbonation just bursts up. That's what happens to the beer that didn't have head. That's what happens in your stomach oh, wow. when, you, when you drink no. the beer. So <laughs> I'm not eating napkins, though. It, you're not eating napkins, but, that's, but once the beer just flows down into you, that's what the beer just kind of erupts in your stomach Got and in your gut. Got it. That's what makes you a little bit burpy and gassy when you drink beer. But also, if you're going out to a restaurant like Buffalo Wild Wings and you're looking to enjoy some wings or maybe another beer, you're going to be full because once that beer goes down and it starts exploding in your gut, that's what happens. So Google wet napkin test. It's a really wet napkin beer test. It's, okay. really, it's really interesting. Yeah, that sounds uh, really, I've never heard of that. It's, I'm going to probably have to try that out now. You're going to have to try it. <laughs> Is there a part of your Cicerone background that doesn't just extend to the uh, like training of managers or servers or things like that, but actually to the consumer, um, trying to get them into craft beer? Does that play into the types of beer that you would consider putting into, you know, into a place or, you know, anything like that? I wouldn't say necessarily. I don't know if it it extends. Cicerone certified, I don't know, is necessarily something that the guests care about. I don't think a Buffalo Wild Wings guest necessarily, and really a lot of beer consumers, the the word Cicerone is still fairly new. Everybody knows what a sommelier is for wine. Not a lot of people know what Cicerones are. So saying that you have a Cicerone on staff still requires a little bit of education. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how much importance it plays to the guest. I think it's cool. Uh, when I go to a restaurant and I, you know, I see that you know these beers are handpicked by a Cicerone or certified Cicerone or even a, a master Cicerone. Yeah. Um, that's to me that that's important. Um, I don't know if the mass craft consumer is there yet. Sure. Suppliers and distributors appreciate it, though, for sure. Got it. Got it. I, you know, I, you did mention when we, in the beginning we were asking about you know, how you got into beer, and you, you mentioned you were going for the beers around the world. Yeah. I did not ask, did you make it? Did you get your name on the wall? I did. I got my name on the wall. Okay. It was, it was a big accomplishment. <laughs> I won't tell you at what age I got my name on the wall, but I did make it. Okay. We'll just leave it at that, then. Before or after 21. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. That's good. Now, obviously, we're we're having draft pours right now, um, and I, there is a can on the table um, that has some artwork on it. Uh, Kyle and I, as has been pointed out in past episodes, we have a design background, um, and we're really into really good label art or really good just general artwork. Um, I honestly, sometimes I'll buy just based off of the look of a can or a bottle, um, and we both agree like Odell's branding and a lot of the artwork that goes onto the bottles and labels is really cool. It's got a really cool style. I mean, you can even see it up on the, um, the tap board above the bars here. Um, you guys have developed this really cool identity. And again, like the label art is really beautiful. 
Um, is that is that done in house? Do you guys have someone that you work with? It's a it's a collaborative process. Um, we start our uh, label design in house. Um, usually working, we've worked with a couple of different agencies over the years, um, but all of the finished art is done by a mural artist uh, who's based in San Francisco, and her name is Mona Karan, um, and she actually has painted the mural on the side of our Rhino Brew House down here. So if you have a chance, check that out on the patio. It's really cool. Some beautiful hop vines out there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we, we have one in-house uh, designer whose name is Regan Reynolds, and he is pretty phenomenal. He does uh, all of our Cellar Series bottle labels um, on those 12-ounce bottles and previously the 750-milliliter bottles. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a team that we all kind of work together, and we're really, we're, we think the end result is absolutely beautiful. We want the packaging to look as good as the beer inside tastes and we're really fortunate to have some amazing brewers so it's a challenge for the marketing team for sure to make sure we're doing everything as good as they're doing in the back of house so yeah uh, but the end result we're, we're really pleased with absolutely yeah. Mona is phenomenal so it was uh, was the initial kind of inspiration style um, did she develop that or obviously I know collaboration but was there something previously or you just kind of like yeah, it was, uh, looking back, it was probably about 15 years ago that we decided we were um, in need of a rebrand. Um, you know, we, uh, we needed to kind of freshen things up, and together with an agency, we found Mona and, um, you know, recreated all of our labels at that time, and, and we're really, really pleased with how it all turned out. We, I mean, we even saw beer sales of certain brands double in about a six-month period after we rebranded them. Um, and even though nothing changed in the packaging <laughs> itself, as far as the beer was concerned, uh, the bottle was different and the label was different. Mm. Um, but we really felt like it reflects who we are. You know, we want it to, to have, you know, a really a long run and a long life. Um, and the labels, I think, have really done that for us, you know, the... They definitely stand yeah. out. It's got the, the, just the colors and the, just the style overall of kind of like very flat. And it looks great. So we're definitely big fans. So keep going with that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we got a refill here. Uh, what, which one's this again? This is the Sabro. The Sabro? IPA, yeah. Okay. So this is that experimental hop that is now graduated to be an actual available variety. Oh. This is the one that has... Uh, the coconut kind of aroma. Yeah, I do. I get that. It's very tropical. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, that stands out. You get a little quite bit a of bit. a like light lemon in the flavor, um, slight pineapple, mm-hmm. coconut in the nose. It's a pretty unique hop, and um, yeah, just it's it's not a single hop beer. I mean, there's also some other hops in there to kind of pair. That's the beauty of brewing is finding that marriage between different hops that blend well together. Mm. But uh, Sabro is definitely the predominant hop in this beer. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I just saw Jason. I just noticed. Uh, I we I just learned about this from. Um, so we every couple every other week we have our friend John Holzer. Um, he's a home brewer and podcaster. He gives us some um, tips and tricks about home brewing. Um, he just mentioned a few ways of um, some new tips about like enjoying your beer or like figuring it out. And um, one of the ones he just mentioned is everybody wants to smell their beer. But he said, you know, if you put your hand over, give it a swirl and then release right into your nose, you'll get a heavier aroma. I just noticed you doing that. So that was cool to see that that's something. Yeah, it builds up the when you when you cover it and kind of give it a tight seal, it builds up all the aromatic compounds. So when you release it and put it to your nose, it really kind of it pulls everything out. It really brightens it up a lot. It does for sure. That's cool. I, was, I, was, I wanted to start trying that trick, so yeah. now I've got a chance. <laughs> All right, napkin, cover it, 
Okay. I'm, I'm getting some good tips here. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's tasty. Yeah, you're right. There's a little bit of that lemon. I, I get lemon. Um, it's got a nice bitterness to it as well. So that, I yeah, I try to it. keep the bitterness not too abrasive. You know, mm. I don't like it to be overpowering. We've always focused on extremely balanced beers yeah. at Odell. So just maintaining that consistency is important to us. That's awesome. Um, okay. I mean, I think that's pretty good in terms of just some questions. So normally what we'll do now is we pull a few handful of articles that we found about beer or just in the beer world and kind of run through them, do an overview, and just talk about them. Um, so I've got a few here that I'll pull, and I'll read um, some points from it. And if you guys have any comments or feedback, or just you know, feel free to chime in, and we'll just, uh, we'll just talk through it. Uh, our first article we have up this week, uh, this one I have, and I'm excited now I want to get on a plane and go straight to Munich. Um, this is coming to us from Condé Nast Traveler. Free beer. So Lufthansa is going to tap kegs on flights heading to Oktoberfest for free. I mean, I'm all for that. I want to go book a flight right now. Um, so obviously, Oktoberfest kicks off this weekend in Munich, um, and Reader's Choice Award winner airline Lufthansa is getting on, in on the celebration. Uh, the German carrier announced yesterday that it's bringing kegs on board to pour draft beers to of-age customers um, on flights from Singapore, New York, Shanghai, and Munich. So unfortunately, we can't get it at, or to Munich, unfortunately, not from Denver. But if you want to take a quick flight over to New York and then catch one from there, you can probably get in on this. Um, so they basically, they've been serving fresh tap beer uh, for Oktoberfest since the 1960s, which is pretty crazy because I did never heard about tapped beer on a plane. Yeah, neither have I. It's all it's always cans, you know. You all right. Well, turbulence. Get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true too. Get it shaken up a little too much. Yeah. Um, and then for the first time ever, actually, uh, they're saying like business um, business class flyers will actually get an Oktoberfest menu, um, which is like ox tartare with truffles, um, Arctic char with Riesling sauce, Bavarian cream and pistachio pesto. They're really, really you doing fly it up. More often. I know, right? They're really yeah, doing it up. Southwest doesn't often be for sure. <laughs> and they're also saying that all travelers that are landing um, in Munich in Terminal 2 this weekend will also get a free Oktoberfest treat box, which includes pretzels, beer-shaped gummies, and a vitamin drink to help you rehydrate after your in-flight beer. Cool. So who it's wants like, to go like to a, Oktoberfest? Like a white napkin service as close as you can get on an airplane, right? Yeah, for serious. Well, if this whole live podcast thing goes well for you guys, the next step, right? Live on a plane to Munich. Munich. Yes. You, you have to do both now. You have to do the Lufthansa review and a live podcast from Munich. This is true. I'm up for that. I, I, I don't know about you. <laughs> they also note, um, note in here that Lufthansa employees um, in Munich lounges will actually be swapping out their regu- regular uniforms and donning traditional Bavarian costumes just to get that extra flair. Are that many people flying to Munich? I mean, my... Uh, it must just be full planes of beer drinkers going yeah. over to Hockey. Well, it's, it, this time of year, it must be. like it, That seems like the only... The only reason to to go out at this time of year yeah. on that airline for yeah you know exactly. to get out to Munich. I mean, my it's, my sister in law's aunt she flew out the same day that we flew to Denver. She flew out to uh, to Munich, so I know a bunch of people are going. I don't know if she took Lufthansa, but she should have. Yeah, right at this point for sure. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so our next article comes from History.com. Uh, this is ancient beer. So thirteen thousand year old beer site may have been the world's oldest brewery. So there's lots of talk about when did brewing start. And I feel like it just keeps getting pushed back more and more with discoveries about how old it is. So this seems to be the latest one. If it's coming from history.com, it seems seems fairly legit, <laughs> I would think. Uh, so for many people, nothing tastes better than a glass of cold beer, whether enjoyed um, you know, at the end of a long day of work or relaxing on a summer afternoon. But brewing beer 
and not baking, baking bread could actually be the reason that our ancestors began cultivating grains in the first place. Um, inside a cave in Israel, researchers from Stanford University have found evidence of the earliest known beer-making operation, which they think predates the civilization of or the cultivation of the first cereals. Uh, both of these milestones belong to the. Uh, now we were talking. We were Net, talking about Natufians. Yeah, Natufians. We, were, we were. We were talking. That we're not going to have to pronounce German words, but here we here we are talking about Natufians. We always butcher. We always butcher beer beer names, and terms, especially things outside of top uh, names. We're we're real bad at that. <laughs> so they were a hunter and gatherer group that um, made basically the Eastern Mediterranean their home about ten thousand years ago. Um, but they do say that a lot of people wouldn't recognize what this this is beer these days. Um, they say there are multiple ingredients such as wheat, barley, oaks, um, legumes, and flax were used to make it. And it kind of resembles something more like gruel or wet oatmeal than a beer that we would be having today. Malto meal. Yeah. I'll just say it. Malto meal. <laughs> Sounds pretty. I, I don't know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not too keen on that. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, we've come a long way. From brewing in caves. Yep. I, there have been, I mean, there have been, there have been um, some places. Yeah. There have been some labs. I, I think we had a couple of articles about colleges that were working on, like, trying to recreate ancient um, beer styles mm-hmm. from, like, scripture, things that they have found. How, how would you feel about trying to recreate an ancient beer? Um, being different, I guess. Um, <laughs> I can appreciate the history of old old styles and and how it used to be but also really um also appreciate the technological advances we've made yeah uh, to be able to make cleaner beer um but yeah it's it's always cool to look into what beer once was or where it stemmed from i don't know i don't know how it would do in the market you know yeah exactly it would definitely be something that you would do like a small batch put it It, on and just just for kicks yeah it'd be like a a five gallon batch. Doesn't probably. Dogfish Head yeah. make a year round beer? Like, a, is that is it Midas Touch? Is that yes? Beer? Their their ancient ale. Yeah, yeah. they have a, a series of ancient ales yes. that they've done and pulling recipes from different cultures around the world. And as far as I'm concerned, they 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 should own that and keep doing it. They, <laughs> they do it really well. Yeah. I, I think it's a it's a it's difficult when you look at some of those recipes and some of the ingredients that they're using uh, to create those beers. Uh, it's pretty wild. And I know Avery has a beer uh, archaeologist, I think they call him on staff, too, okay. uh, believe it or not. That's yeah. even more interesting title. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, no offense, obviously. Well, in uh, modern times, actually, near our office in downtown L.A. is uh, aging beers in clay pots, as far as I know. I don't know what that imparts on the beer, but there was one when we were at the Dankness Dojo that was aged in a clay pot. Which was it just seems wild, like taking taking certain parts of the ancient process and kind of applying it to modern. Aging in the clay pot, or did you get to try it? I didn't try it. Yeah, no, no, not yet. No, it wasn't. It didn't come in like a flower pot. It wasn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. Served to you in a in a clay pot. But they have yeah. tap. They haven't released it. Well, I, I, I think it was on tap. Yeah, we just yeah. we didn't get a chance to to try it, but we saw it down there. We'll have to go back. Yeah, yeah. They're up. They're over here at GABF. So I doubt they have it, but. Just like it seems stick, like a cool cool thing to do. Stick a tap line into a clay pot and see what happens. <laughs> right. Pull it right out. Um, obviously, the styles have changed and going from like what was basically gruel and working its way to the evolution. Obviously, like the beer styles have changed with, as technology advances with kilning of malts and um, lagering and refrigeration. We, we've covered so many beer styles on the show and just figured out a lot of the history. Um, 
what what would you guys say right now is a style that you you would put it your favorite like what's what's your current like favorite style either to brew or to enjoy honestly i'm really digging kettle sours these days i think they are hot right now um the fruited kettle sours it's a it's a new um style that i feel the you know the ipa drinker has evolved into now that it's a new hip style to get it to uh, appreciate um not just kettle sours but sours in general I feel yeah. are, are becoming more popular in, mm-hmm. in a lot of different markets and there's been a bit of crossover too something that i find that i actually really enjoy is the like soured ipa because you get mm-hmm. both you get both pieces of it mm-hmm. um so I, I the crossover works pretty well because obviously ipa sour and then the combination kind of leading you there mm-hmm. i think works pretty well yeah and we, we released a beer this last summer called sunny rain that was a it's a tart hop forward beer so yeah i mean it's, it's definitely a popular route that people are into right now but i don't know what do you guys think what's yeah, I would agree. I mean, we're we. Uh, I'm actually sampling a, a most recent test batch for a new beer that we're going to release in November called Sippin' Pretty. It's a, a kettle sour um, that utilizes acai and elderberry and guava and creates a really nice complexity, but is tart and refreshing, balanced with a little bit of Himalayan pink sea salt. Oh, wow. um, really, really delicious beer. Um, and really, and really beautiful looking too. Yeah, yeah. great. Great kind of pinkish, purple hue to it. Um, yeah, pretty striking color for sure. But, uh, you know, for me personally, hops are never going to go away. I love hoppy beers. Um, so, you know, a, a great IPA, a great pale ale is, is, as long as it's not overly bitter and still balanced and, and well-brewed, is is probably going to be my go-to forever. Um, but we love the Kettle Sours, too, because it's a, it's a wider... Uh, market for us too. There's uh, a lot of wine drinkers um, and even some of the hard seltzer drinkers that are really keen on this style of beer. So it offers up a broader customer base for us as well. So I want to make sure we have something in our portfolio for everybody. Yeah, that makes sense. And especially like um, you mentioned, it's really nice on the warmer months too to have those out and just to enjoy. Really thirst quenching and refreshing for sure. Yeah. I find myself drinking IPAs all the time. Um, sometimes I wish I didn't order so many IPAs. No, you're not ends up, I know. It just ends up what's always in my fridge or what I always get when I'm out at a restaurant. Um, I love Kolsch. I love Saison's. I think Saison is my, if I'm stranded on a desert island with only one beer to drink style. Um, what's trending in our restaurants are uh, IPAs, a lot of gold nails. Uh, we're in the middle of our 2019 planning process right now, and I think... of the breweries I've met with are coming out with a gold nail or a craft lager for 2019 because it's the 805 or solid gold effect where it's just proliferating across the country right now. Um, But IPAs are king. They're not not going anywhere. And we're actually looking in 2019, we're going to make sure that we have a hazy New England milkshake, some kind of that trend of IPAs on tap in all of our restaurants because I, I don't think that style is going anywhere yeah that's a and that's a very good point I mean we we sometimes get flack for our over enjoyment <laughs> of the hazy IPAs um, yeah. and obviously I think most people know that this year there's like this is the first year I believe that American IPA was outdone in terms of styles of entries at JBF for the juicy hazy um category as it was just introduced this year yeah exactly so it's i think a lot of people were considering it just kind of like a a trendy thing but it seems like it might be catching on i mean what do you guys think about the 
that whole the juicy hazy thing taken over i don't know what you guys think i think hazy ipas have turned into a gateway into craft similarly to how blue moon is a gateway into craft for a lot of people um i'm not gonna quote the stat correctly but there was a nielsen power hour about three months ago uh nielsen ba power hour about three months ago where i think this the note was that the fastest trending beer style among the female consumers were hazy and new england style ipas i know personally my wife hates ipas she's not a fan of big bitter beers if she sees a ipa that has the word lactose on it she dives right in this guy right she's she's a huge milkshake ipa fan yep and some of the beer blogs that i follow or the the facebook groups or reddit groups that i read it's a huge culture of people who didn't drink ipas who now do because of this style of very tropical um sometimes lactose sweeter forward ipas that don't have a lot of that bitterness to it um You've seen trends in IPAs, the the fruit forward IPAs that kind of they peaked and now they've kind of gone down a little bit. Uh, but personally, I I think this has introduced a whole new group of beer drinkers into a style that they previously didn't enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I think they're they tend to be uh, less bitter, and I think that makes them a lot more approachable for people. Uh, we've got a milkshake IPA uh, that we're selling, it's called Cloud Catcher, and it's doing really, really well for us, and we're seeing that it's touching a different demographic um, than, you know, a more standard style IPA, certainly a West Coast IPA, um, that tends to be dry and bitter. Um, You know, I think for us at Odell's, we've always really prided ourselves on balance. Um, So even when we launched our uh, flagship IPA in 2007, it, it only came in at 60 IBUs and people were like, oh, you can't sell a beer that's only 60 IBUs. And, and then we turned around and won gold medal with it at the Great American Beer Festival and the gold medal at the World Beer Cup uh, immediately after that. So we figured we were doing something right. At, uh, at least mm-hmm. the judges thought so. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, it's uh, the, the trends are towards those fruitier flavored uh, IPAs where the fruit's coming from the hop characteristics rather than the addition of fruit, um, which for me is really exciting. I think keeps the raw materials specialist really excited and those hop farmers really excited that there's a market for these products now too. So, And out of that, I feel um, that just IPA drinkers in, in general are are into the hazy IPAs a little more. For me personally, I feel like an unfiltered IPA or a hazy IPA resonates a little more of the uh, the hop character yeah. within the beer. Uh, I feel like when you filter a beer or centrifuge a beer, you're going to strip out a little of those botanicals that are originally in that raw version of that beer. And This is a different way to uh, really bring out that aroma mm-hmm. from all the hops that you're using. So I think that's also an added benefit to these hazy IPAs. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know uh, we, we've talked about an article that said exactly what Jason was saying, how... Um, and I've seen it personally, the, the fact like it is people who say that they don't like IPAs, you're like, okay, well, you should try this because it's not going to be as in your face as a West Coast highly hopped 100 IBU or, you know, craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not a thousand IBU, yeah. you know, beer, but it's it's both the kind of introduction to IPAs that some folks are having, but also it has such staying power with people who have been in craft beer for a long time they're gravitating more towards those and i mean our fridge is sort of <laughs> we've we've got way too many at home too um so it's yeah it's it's really great with with craft beer drinkers who have been in it a long time i think too as well do you 
Do you guys have, um, does Odell have anything um, that's being judged down that you guys entered in this year's uh, GABF? Yeah. Um, we, um, we entered, uh, we're allowed to enter a maximum of four beers per brew house. So we entered four of our beers that, that were produced down here at Rhino, as well as four of our beers um, up from the Fort Collins Brewery. So, uh, yeah, we'll find out tomorrow how, how it <laughs> Good luck. How it, Definitely. It did. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we always say internally that... Um, we don't necessarily brew beer to style. We brew beer that we really like to drink. Um, so awards are fantastic, and it's great to get that kind of recognition. Um, but at the same time, I think uh, you know we can all still be really proud of the products that we're putting out there, whether they do win awards or not. Um, we've really scaled back the competitions that we actually enter. We only enter three competitions now, which is the Great American Beer Festival, the World Beer Cup, and then the European Beer Star Awards. Um, we find that it's it's not really our primary marketing tool. Um, like I said, it, it's really nice to get that recognition, but at the same time, um, it doesn't necessarily equate to sales either. So uh, we want to make sure we, we're making the best possible beer we can that our consumers love. Yeah, and that seems, I would think that that would be what you should, what you would want to aim for, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, but either way, best of luck on uh, Thank you. On yeah, this. yeah, good Appreciate luck. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, well, thanks, guys, for all that. I think right now um, we'll open it up. If anyone out there has any questions for anybody up here, don't feel obligated. Just throwing it out there. Uh, feel free to come up. My question is for Jason. Um, you've got your Cicerone, and Buffalo Wild Wings is like a place that, if you end for a craft beer drinker, like someone who's like here for GABF, that kind of person, you end up at Buffalo Wild Wings. There's a couple of good things on tap, local stuff. But it's always served in like either the wheat glasses, only like one or two glasses. Is there any thought about how you can be, how the beers can be served like better presentation style? I've always been kind of bummed out whenever I order something that's in like the same pint glass or the wheat glass. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're looking at all of that. So um, we we put a lot of work into. Um, what we call our tall pilsner glass, which resembles a little bit of a Hefeweizen glass. It's got custom nucleation sites at the bottom. Um, so with tall beers being kind of where our guests gravitate to at Buffalo Wild Wings, being a sports bar, that's somewhere around 86% of our total draft sales comes from tall beers. We put a lot of effort into that glass. Over the last few years, we've started to see as the craft consumer changes, we've seen shifts into pints. So you can probably you will see work from us moving forward into uh how do we elevate the presentation of all of our beers that we serve not only our tall beers so uh you can you'll see us look at pint glasses you'll see us look at uh, a possible new high abv glass we're looking into flights and flight presentation uh and you'll also see us kind of evaluate most of our restaurants have 30 handles so you'll also see us take a look at those 30 handles and evaluate those and how do we make sure that we have the right assortment on uh, so that from those 30 handles, everyone who comes in our restaurant gets the beer that they're looking for. Thank you for your question. So uh, I don't know how long you guys are in town for, but uh, other than GABF, do you guys have any like a checklist of places that you're trying to hit in whether it's Denver or I don't know if you're going to venture out to Boulder or Fort Collins or do you guys have any places that you're trying to get to? <laughs> I went to Cerebral uh, a couple nights ago. Very good. Uh, I've been wanting to get out for a little while. They're 
it being from California, they are super hot on Instagram. And so it's like, I, I, I feel like I am obligated to go check them out. Um, but other than that, I didn't really have a, a bucket list necessarily. Tim, did you have one? That um, was- I, I went, I wasn't planning on venturing too far out. Um, I came through town. I, I was here probably a year and a half ago. Um, and went to quite a few places. Um, I didn't make a specific list, unfortunately, for this trip. I was mostly what I did, mostly what I did for the festival is just make a list of places I want to hit while I was while I was in there. Um, a lot. Of- We're open to recommendations. Yes, that's for sure. Honestly, like yeah, I, I've been out to Four Noses. Um, I've been out to uh, Boulder. I recommended a couple places in Boulder to Tim, yeah. uh, Finkel and Garf, places like that uh, that I've liked. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's but it's I've really wanted to get out to Adele's as well. Yeah. Like come out here hit up this this street um but yeah not nothing else other than that we're, <laughs> we're open to to suggestions though if anybody else has any hey guys i'm joe i'm uh actually not a tap moderator so i figured i'd stop by today oh, nice. well, love the podcast uh, i'm also certified cicerone and i'm taking the uh, bjcp tasting exam in november so i'm a full, full-time beer nerd um i've got two things one to uh kyle and tim if you guys could try more east coast beers we'd love we'd love to hear those because <laughs> You're a little, you're a little California centric on occasion. Well, we broke it out. We did, we did some. You've other done, you, stuff. You, you, you're doing to. much better. I got to tell you. That. We'll, we'll take the show on the road. I, c- come to Washington D.C. I'll show you a good time. Oh, perfect. perfect. Um, but uh, my question is for the guys from Odell's. Um, I love your beer. My wife and I first went to uh, Odell in Fort Collins, I think about seven or eight years ago, for her cousin's wedding, and we loved your beers. Our favorite brewery we went to. When we were in uh, Colorado. Any chances you guys are going to keep moving further east? Uh, we like to say never say never, uh, but we have no intentions of building another facility anywhere. Yeah. We're going to keep all the brewer, beer coming out of Fort Collins, and um, we don't pasteurize our beer, so we do have a, li- a little bit more of a limited shelf life, and we want to make sure that people are getting the freshest possible beer. Um, we, we've gone uh, as far east now as Wisconsin, um, but uh, no immediate plans for future expansion towards the East Coast. Yeah, I love that. Uh, like a couple years after I move out of Wisconsin, you guys, uh, you guys come to Wisconsin. <laughs> we, we've heard that from quite a few <laughs> people. Sorry, you, you, sorry. You have a you have an extra suitcase, right? <laughs> I Just, forgot. I forgot. Uh, I'll give everyone the main suitcase. I'm gonna back it up here. Pack it up. So for anyone on a future show, if you do have a question for Kyle, and myself, or uh, if we happen to have anyone on at the time, uh, yeah. you can always hit us up on social. You can uh, head over to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, we are at Untapped and use the hashtag AskUntapped. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if, of course, Tim, as Tim said, if you've got any questions for us, be sure to get in touch with us. We're at Untapped everywhere. And uh, if you have a moment, head over to Apple Podcasts. Give our show a little rating. We appreciate the uh, five-star rating on there because it uh, helps other people find our show. And if you also have another minute, just uh, leave a review. We love to hear what you think, what you're listening to, what your suggestions are. We try to go through and read all those. So just let us know what you think. And of course, um, thank you so much to our guests here, uh, to Brent, Adam, Jason, um, and for Odell for hosting us here at the Rhino Brew House. This yeah. location is amazing. The, all of the beers that we've had so far are fantastic. And if you're in the area, you should definitely stop by. It's a quick hop over from downtown. So, I mean, it's not far at all. So you should definitely make your way over here. Yeah, thank, thanks everybody else for coming out. Thank you all for being yeah, here. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Thank yeah, you guys. Thanks for having us. Of course, no problem. Uh, so until next week. Cheers. Cheers.